The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Let's, let's jump in. We're in a, a series called Culture of Care. Part of, part of being in a growing church is exciting. The meetings are cool. The gatherings are great. You're meeting new people. But the larger a church gets, one of the things that can go down is the capacity of each individual to experience care. The, you know it if you've been in a big church, you can walk in and feel like you're in a crowd or a mob and not a community. Can I get an Amen. And so we want to be a large church. We want to be a growing church. We don't want to be the biggest church. We're not trying to get the award for biggest church. But we want to be big enough to do what God's called us to do. We want to be able to multiply, to identify and empower leaders, to plant churches, to send people out, uh, and to keep doing that work of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to do that. But we also want to do it well. And we want everybody here to receive the kind of friendship, love, support, and care that is in God's heart for every single person. And that's not something that will happen by accident. Sometimes that happens by accident in small churches because everybody knows everybody. The church I grew up in was very small, and if you went to church, you knew who wasn't there. <laughs> Remember, everybody, everybody grew up in a church like that? Where were you? What were you doing? Were you sick? Were you sleeping in? Were you lazy? It's football season. I knew it, you heathen. <laughs> but in a big church, you never know who's there and who's not there. And so you can get lost. And we want to make sure, we want to build in a way that we're making sure that we are creating a culture of care, a culture of care. And so two weeks ago, we kicked off the series with a, the initial kind of sermon about perspective. Somebody say perspective. Thank you for the 16 of you that participated. And, and I, I do that because I like to hear your voices and to make sure you're still awake. Some of you have your glasses on. I don't know if you're sleeping behind there or whatever. It's cool, but just if you say the word, just play along with me. So we talk about perspective. Part of that was having a perspective on suffering. The backdrop of care is suffering. We can't talk about care without talking about suffering. And we wanted to really have an understanding. We wanted to have a perspective on why is there suffering and how does God work in the midst of suffering and how is it that God never wastes suffering? What is our expectation? And really, God becomes visible when people experience care in the midst of suffering. And so we want to have that perspective. Suffering is, there is no uh, political agenda that is going to create a utopia. There is no end of suffering in this age. Not until Jesus comes back and the earth is fixed and every human heart is transformed will there not be any suffering. And in the meantime, God becomes visible, not in the absence of suffering, but in the presence of care. And so we want to have that perspective. This morning, I want to talk to you about the second P in our series, and that is proximity. Somebody say proximity. That was so much better. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Proximity. And to do that, I want to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. It's actually all the way down in verse 40 and to 45. And Mark's gospel is the fast-paced gospel. Uh, I think Mark was a fast talker. I think he was like me. That's why I relate to him. And it's the ADHD gospel. If you read Mark's gospel, it's like, Jesus then, he goes in here, and he immediately, and then immediately, and immediately over here. And he's like, whoosh, 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 everywhere. It's like, the, it's like the comic book gospel. It just moves so much. And so here we are in the end of chapter one. So we're still in chapter one. And we're getting this powerful interaction between Jesus and a leper. Now, Mark has already covered Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy in his gospel. He's already introduced John the Baptist. We've already had Jesus' baptism. We've already had Jesus' wilderness temptation, which is only two sentences in Mark's gospel. He's abbreviated. It's the Cliff Notes version. We get Jesus um, calling his disciples. We have Jesus starting his ministry. He casts out a demon. He heals the whole town. He has a quiet time by himself. Everybody loses Jesus. They go find him, and he goes on to teach, and that's all happened before we get to the section we're going to read. And so Mark's packing it in there, and he's giving us this perspective of what was happening in and around the person of Jesus. And this little section of scripture is so important for us as we build a culture of care and consider the power of proximity. And so let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. A leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But when he went out, he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town 
but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. God, we thank you for your word to us that has been read in our hearing. God, we thank you for speaking, for preserving these words for us. God, we thank you that the very nature of the scriptures is power, power to transform, power to enlighten, power to reveal. God, I pray that your word would have its way in our hearts and minds this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us, that as we read your word and listen to the preaching of your word, God, that your word would read us. Lord, that you would transform us to be more like Jesus. God, for those who are here who feel far from you, I pray that you would draw them in close. God, for those who are here who feel near but do not know you in a saving way, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see and that they would have faith to receive the gift of salvation in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would speak the word each of us needs this morning. So we look to you and we just confess our minds are alert and our our hearts are hungry and our spirits anticipate the miracle that you want to do inside of us. So we receive it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So we're we're living in a post-COVID world now, all of a sudden. And I've been around long enough to recognize that events happen in the world by which you can then judge the pre-event and the post-event. How many of you guys remember pre-9-11 air travel? Anybody? You remember just willy-nilly walking up to the gate and waiting for your friend to get off the plane? Are you leaving or are you just waiting for somebody? I'm just waiting for somebody. I heard one comedian say that the security was a high five and a pat on the butt back in those days. That's, that's what it was like. And get this, there are people in the room right now, adults, who were born since then, in case you weren't already feeling old, right? But the world changed. The world changed. It's never been the same. Some people never experience anything but long TSA lines. Well, now we're in this post-COVID world, and some things have changed for the good. I'm kind of really excited about how much hand sanitizer is everywhere. That kind of needed to happen already. It's a dirty world out there. There's a lot of germy hands. I love the fact that you go to any restaurant and they have like paper towels and disinfectant spray and they're wiping off tables with that. Remember when they used to just use a, a rag in brown water from a bucket? Remember that? <laughs> oh, hold on, there's crumbs on your table. <laughs> so like some good stuff has happened. Can we all agree? One of the things though I'm noticing too as people are being more and more unmasked that there's this, there's this uh, experience of kind of reconnecting with a person's smile and their facial expression. There was a kind of a dehumanizing effect in the world where everybody kind of turned into a, just a blah. And now we're getting to see each other. Like I never, I never realized how much I love teeth until now, you know? I'm like, oh, such a beautiful smile. It's so, it's so good for the human spirit. One of the things though that has changed that I'm very excited about is I don't know if you've realized this or not, but there is a significant reduction in close talkers. You guys remember close talkers? Remember when somebody, and and you know who the close talkers in your life are. Some of you are like, I I don't know any. That's you. You're the close talker. You're like, nobody gets awkwardly close to me. Yeah, it's because we're moving. That's why, right? Yeah, so some of you are the close talkers, but because of the whole COVID, the social distance thing, and now there's still like this little bit of uh, space that we're all creating. And so I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's fewer close talkers. Now, I've always been at a a distinct advantage because of my height, so I'm 6'4". There's only like 7% of the population that I'm at risk of close talking with. But every once in a while, I'll meet a tall guy and and we'll be talking and he'll he'll do that thing where he leans in to tell me, like it's just gonna tell me a secret. You know, you've seen this, the first time you meet a close talker and you don't know yet. And they're like, and they start talking to you, not in a whisper, and then they don't move and they're like right here. (laughs) Now, true story, I will tell you, I know a lot of close talkers. Being in pastoral ministry, I get to talk to a lot of people and I have a list. And I rank that list. I measure all close talkers based on feet per minute. (laughs) So this is how this works. You're having a conversation. Somebody comes in. You realize they're a close talker. And you just, you know, you just kind of slowly give them a little bit of space and they just take it. They just take it right back. If you find a a, a real close talker, you can lead them around the room in an hour. Take them right back to where you started. They'll never know. They'll never know that they even went for a walk. I've been doing this for a long time, trust me, okay? So feet per minute. So now you're gonna notice if I'm 
if you're talking to me and I start moving, you'd be like, oh, it's me, isn't it? It's me, it's me. But I actually kind of like the fact that in a post-COVID world, we got a little bit of distance. But really the problem, this is a very small minority of the population, really the problem for most people is not being too close. The problem for most people is not being close enough. And that's why in this series and a part of our training as a church, as we consider building a culture of care, we really want to hone in on proximity, on nearness, on coming close. And I can't think of a better place to turn in the scriptures to illustrate the heart of God and the care of God through proximity than this passage in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. Notice that it opens with this phrase, a leper came to him. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but leprosy is pretty much eradicated in the United States of America in the 21st century. None of you know a leper, I'm guessing. Uh, there are no leper colonies. In fact, leprosy now has the name Hansen's disease. Did you know that? Hansen's disease. And the reason it's eradicated is because it is the result of a specific bacteria that causes leprosy, and that bacteria can be easily treated with a little bit of amoxicillin. And so with an antibiotic, you can be free from leprosy in five to 10 days. And so we've almost completely eradicated leprosy in the United States. And so here we are reading our Bible. A leper came to him. And you're like, oh, a leper. I've heard of that. Oh, and he came to Jesus. And then what happens? But before you even get to that part, you should be kind of awestruck by the phrase, a leper came to him. Because if you were a leper in the ancient Near East, as soon as there was evidence of a skin condition, you, if you were a good person of integrity, you would show yourself to the priest. Now, and you can go back and read how all this worked. It's Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 for those industrious Bible students who are here this morning. Leviticus 13 and 14. I'm sure you read it in your Read the Bible in a Year program, you probably read those two chapters together. You probably read all about the skin disorders and the oozing and the hair changing color and stuff scraping and falling off, and you were very built up in your spirit. <laughs> I'm sure it was very meaningful for you that morning. But I'll give you some insight into those chapters that will blow your mind, and that will change the way you read those scriptures, and I'll bet a whole bunch of other ones. Because in the, in the ancient Near East, if you were a leper, you were immediately ostracized from the community, because there was no cure for leprosy in the ancient Near East. And in Jesus' time, if you were to have leprosy, that was to be identified and diagnosed, you would then be forced to do a number of things. The first would be to burn all your clothes, shave your head, you'd be given new clothes, and you would then be ostracized from your family, your home, the community. You would live outside of the gates, and you would be a part of, if any community, only another colony of other lepers. And that would be your life for the rest of your life. Now, um, we know a little bit more about leprosy than obviously our predecessors did. Leprosy, if, if you've seen pictures, is called death by inches by historians. And you'll see people who are missing fingers and facial features. Leprosy doesn't eat off your body, but it, the bacteria kills the nerve endings in your fingertips and in your face. And so you'll get a cut or a burn and you can't feel it. And so oftentimes those cuts and burns and scrapes become infected and then the infection is actually what causes um, the, the loss of digits and noses and ears. And for someone who's lived with leprosy for decades, it can be a very terrifying sight. And so not only was there this social distance that was created between the clean and the unclean, the, 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 the well and the leper, but there was also just a, a fright about the whole thing. I mean, it was Halloween level kind of horror film visuals. Um, and so we have a, a drastic separation. When a leper came in contact with an unknowing traveler, the leper was also required to call out, covering their mouth, unclean. And so if you didn't already feel ostracized, that's your new name. Unclean, unclean. Can you imagine what that would feel like? You're like, oh, a human. I haven't seen any humans in a long time. Get away from me. I'm dangerous. And so this is the normal experience of the, re the readers and hearers of Mark's gospel. And so when they read the words, a leper came to him, this is breaking all social mores. Now, the reason the leper came to him is previously in the chapter, which I already told you, Jesus had gone on a healing spree. Jesus had come and preached and he had 
healed someone, and then everybody in the whole town lined up, and Jesus just healed them all night long until everybody was healed. And news of this mass healing reached this leper. And for the first time, and who knows how long, this leper experienced something that he hadn't experienced, and that was hope. Hope. I know you can heal me. His question was not, can Jesus heal him? The question is, will Jesus heal him? You see, this goes beyond the physical. This goes beyond infirmities. Part of the distance that was created between lepers and polite society was the fact that people of that era would have perceived that skin condition as a judgment from God. They would have assumed that there was a curse on this person because of some evil that they had done or partaken with. Now, we know better than that. We know that it's bacteria. We know that it's a, a germ that can be healed. We, don't, we wouldn't immediately say anybody with a disease is an evil person, but that was not the case in the first century and for many parts of the world right now. Any type of infirmity can be instantly connected to a judgment. And so not only is there a physical distance because of this infirmity, but there's a relational and spiritual. And so this man looks to Jesus as a religious leader and teacher and figure. And while his identity is unknown to the man, he knows that his power has been demonstrated, but what remains to be answered is his willingness. And so he comes near to Jesus. He breaks the distance barrier and he creates proximity. But what impresses me about this passage is not the leper's hope-filled desperation to come to Jesus. What blows my mind about this passage is what Jesus says and what Jesus does. Look at verse 41. Moved with pity. Before we read the rest, moved with pity. That's a really ugly Greek verb. If you read the original language, it's splagnizomai. Isn't that fun to say? It's gross sounding. And it should be gross because splagnon are your guts. In the ancient Near East, Eastern people thought about their feelings in their guts. We talk about your heart, right? Just follow your heart. <laughs> ancient Near Easterners would not know what to do with that because your heart would be like your mind to them. And so their feelings were their guts. And so to be moved with pity is to like experience something inside your guts. And we all feel that. The reason we say butterflies, anybody ever had butterflies? The same reason you get butterflies is why you get goosebumps. Did you know that? Because when you experience an, an emotion, your body has a physiological response. And part of that response is to move blood away from uh, vital organs like your stomach that's digesting food and to move that blood to your muscles to your ability to act and to react. And that's what causes the hair on the back of your neck to stand up, and that's what causes you to get goosebumps or chicken skin or goose pimples or all the weird things you guys have for that. That's where that comes from. And when the reason you all that blood moves away from your guts, you feel something. And so this word talks about what Jesus experienced as he put eyes on the hope-filled desperation of this very ill and ostracized person. And that's amazing in and of itself. But it's not just what Jesus felt that will stun you. It's what Jesus did. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Jesus could have said those words from 10 feet away. Jesus could have said those words socially distanced with a mask on. <laughs> Jesus could have been double masked with a face mask and rubber gloves and a whole gown. I will be clean. Could have said it. But what did he do? To a leper. He reached out his hand and he touched him. I have to imagine that that was the most electrifying touch that this man could recall. I don't know what his love language was. How many of you guys are love language people? Come on, raise your hand. Where's all the personal touch people in the room? That's my love language. Just cuddle me. Come on, raise your hand. Come on. Okay, if you're sitting next to a person and it's not awkward, you can touch them now because that's how they feel love, okay? So spouses, scoot in. Some of you are, and some of you are married to like a person that's like, okay, all right, too much. We've had enough, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry if that's you. We'll have a whole compatibility sermon later. It's not that you weren't meant to be together. God loves you. It'll work out. I'll help you. 
But not all of us are wired the same way. And I don't know if this guy was like a, a, a touch person or not, but I can tell you that as a human being who's been isolated from other people, who has not felt the warmth of an embrace or the connection of a handshake or a hug, that touch from Jesus would have been one of the most incredible sensations he had ever experienced. And see, this is the opportunity we have as we grow in a culture of care. We have an opportunity to put on the heart of God, to feel what he feels, but then to carry out the boundary-breaking activity of Jesus and to make a connection where other people are afraid or unwilling to make that connection. It's really important for us to consider as brothers and sisters because there's lots of reasons why we would move away from somebody who's suffering. So there's lots of people in the world that are just selfish. They don't want to get bummed down by your bad mood. Okay, they're crying, I'm out. It's funny of that. There's probably someone in the room right now. If you're elbowing somebody, good luck on the way home. There's those people, there's, there's that reason. But there's also lots of other reasons. I don't know if you know this, but even people who have great big hearts and who have a desire to help, you can experience something sociologists are now calling compassion fatigue. How many of you guys have heard of compassion fatigue? Well, if you haven't, compassion fatigue is this term that now uh, describes what a lot of people experience as we are inundated with all of the bad news of the world. And so you hear about the condo collapse in Surfside, and you hear about a mudslide in California and another place that's burned to the ground, and then an earthquake, and then people who are dying of, of toxic lead, and you go all these different places all over the world, and there is so much bad news that it will turn your splagnizomai to the limit, and you will be so overwhelmed, and not only overwhelmed with the weight of all of the suffering, but you can do nothing to remedy it. And in the midst of your inability to help and your experience of all of this compassion, something in you will turn off. Even if you don't turn off the input of all of this information, your ability to feel it starts to be diminished. You feel exhausted. People lose weight, sleeplessness. All kinds of stuff can happen. This is a real dynamic that's happening in the world. And, and so even people who really do care can start to just pull away from negative situations because they have nothing left to give even though they've done nothing. And so we live in a world where there's all kinds of reasons why not to get involved, why not to come close, why not to help. Now, some of you know, I've talked about this before, but I am not an overly empathetic person. God did not wire me that way. Tiffany and I joke, she's got a big heart, she's full of compassion, I have a tiny little Grinch heart. Three sizes too small. That's the problem. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm being 100% honest with you, and I want you to know what to expect. I don't know why God made me a pastor either. I don't know why you chose me to be yours. This is how things work. <laughs> I'm like all up in my head kind of a person. All my decision-making happens upstairs. I don't, not a lot happens down here. And so I've had to learn to be compassionate and to be caring. I've had to learn. Now listen, if you don't think I'm compassionate now, you should have met me 10 years ago. Because, wow, there's been a lot of improvement, okay? And so some of us just aren't wired for it. I'm also a seven on the Enneagram, if any of you guys are like Enneagram people. And like our thing is like not experiencing negative emotion. I don't even want to feel my own pain. Seriously, I'm like, this makes me sad. I'm going to go do something fun because that's a bummer. I do not want to feel sad right now. I'm not kidding. This is how my brain works. I'm like, I do not want to experience grief, sorrow, pain, conflict. I'm like, let's just have fun all the time. <laughs> Seriously, we sang that song, if I'm not dead, it's not done. I'm like, if it's not fun, I'm not in. That's how, I, that's how I'm wired, okay? And so some of you are like Enneagram fours where you just like to sit in the misery of all of the pain. You're like, life is pain, you know? Just embrace, just embrace the pain. That's why we can't get along. But all people are different. All people are different. And sometimes you get in a situation where it, it triggers some pain you've experienced and it's, it's harmful to you to enter into somebody's experience. There's just, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. As diverse as there are humans, there are reasons why you would move away from a situation where someone is suffering. And yet the call of the Christian and the culture we're trying to build at Christ Church is to be a culture of care that moves toward the trouble, joins the person in it, and brings the comfort and presence of God. Do you know that? And part of what we see in this interaction with Jesus is that this is how God is. Any of you wonder 
why Jesus repeatedly in the gospels says to people he interacts with and helps, don't say anything to anyone. You ever read that? So he heals the demoniac, delivers him from all this legion of demons, don't say anything to anyone. Why? He, he heals a person uh, here of leprosy, don't say anything to anyone. Why would he do that? Anybody got any ideas? I'm really asking. Yeah, don't worry, you're not Mike, they won't be on the video. What are, what, why would Jesus do that? Somebody in first service says reverse psychology. They're like, don't you tell anybody. Don't, don't go tell all your friends. He's gonna go tell his friends. Watch this, this is cool, this works every time. Don't tell them. That's possible, I don't think that's why. I'm pretty sure not, actually. What is it? Okay, it could, could have been tactical. Jesus is like, once the word gets out, I'm stuck. I can go nowhere. Maybe actions speak louder than words. I like that you guys are thinking about this. This is good. Yeah. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, right? No internet, no HVAC, no indoor plumbing. I think the reason, I think the reason that Jesus told everyone not to tell others what he had done for them was because the world wasn't ready for those miracles, even though the world needed them. Think about this for a second. See, Jesus did miracles to attest truth to what he was saying. If you read back in Mark's gospel, Jesus gets up, goes to have a quiet time by himself, and the disciples say, hey, come back. Everybody's here. We're all waiting for you. We want to see what cool parlor tricks you're going to do now. Can you make bread or fish or something? Everybody's hungry. It's been a long night. Jesus says, actually, no, that's not why I came. I'm going to the next town because I came here to preach. And what did Jesus come to preach? See, he came to reveal to the world what God was truly like because the world was very confused. And while our world thinks different things about God than this world did when Jesus was on the earth, the world still thinks wrong thoughts about God. And so Jesus is saying, you need to hear what I say, not just a report of what I can do for you. In John chapter six, Jesus fed 5,000 and they showed up the next day like, gurgle, 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 what's for lunch? And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Well, we can't eat that, Jesus. <laughs> He's like, no bread today. What you need is spiritual nourishment. What you need is salvation. What you need is to be reconnected to your father. They're like, yeah, no, what we need is a sandwich. This is the response. And they all left. What did he say? What is he making? He's not. He said we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that's weird, I'm out. <laughs> this is John chapter six. This is the Jesse Jarvis standard version. <laughs> you see, Jesus knew that people would immediately come out to receive something like healing or food. But what they needed was a revelation of what God is truly like, and it's, there's no more clear place in history and the scriptures than the person of Jesus. He is the manifestation, the visibility of the nature of God. The word become flesh, eternal son of the father. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God, and what you need is for Jesus to tell you what you really need, not for you to tell Jesus what you think you need. Because every leper thinks they need healing, don't they? But not every leper knows that they need a savior. Not every leper knows how God feels about them, what God speaks to them, what God wants for them. And Jesus doesn't end up answering every prayer for every person to their desire, but he does come to reveal the thing that every single person needs to know. Yes, I mean, can you imagine Jesus in our 21st century self-promoting culture? Can you imagine? Can you imagine this Jesus, this now? Like already, we're like, hey, thanks for coming to church today. Leave us an honest five-star review and share this post with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a comment below. Take a screenshot and send it to your friends. Like, this is everywhere you, you look. It's just promotion, 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 promotion. And Jesus is saying, don't come to church for the coffee. Don't come because the pastor likes the air at 68 degrees and that's your favorite temperature. Don't come because the chairs are comfortable, not those plastic chairs that you slide out of and you can only sit in a service for 45 minutes. No, come to Christ Church because the location is perfect and the, the service times are appealing and it's right around the corner from your house and cool people go there. All the good reasons. Jesus says, no. Go where you learn what God is like. 
and you let him tell you what you need and then you receive it from him as a gift of his grace. This is what Jesus cared about. Now listen, I say this because we get wrong concepts of God and everyone in the Bible did too. This is why it bugs me when people say things like you should read the Bible literally and then you don't know what to make of it because a lot of this is about how screwed up we are. Do you know that? A lot of this is about how we get it wrong, how we misunderstand God and mistreat other people. It's right all up in here. What you find though, is that from Genesis chapter one, two, and three, all the way to Revelation, God is always coming toward us. Do you know that? I don't know if this has ever escaped you, but in Genesis chapter three and verse eight, remember when Adam and Eve had distrusted God, disobeyed God? You ever notice that God wasn't around when the devil was tempting them, the serpent was tempting them? But then in verse eight, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Like this is just a random Tuesday afternoon. God showed up. Hey, y'all, what's up? What are we doing today? Think about that for a second. God created everything from nothing. God made a special place, uh, land from the sea. God made a country, Eden. God put a garden in Eden. And then God made man and woman, put them in the garden. Everything was so great, they were naked and unashamed. That's pretty great. And God walked with them in the garden. One-on-one relationship, totally connected with God and experiencing eating from the tree of life and enjoying everything and relationship. And he's like, you know what your job is? Make babies. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. That's my favorite job, right? <laughs> Let's just be wonderful. We live in the produce section of Publix and we make babies. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> but because he's God and we're not, what does he say? He says, don't eat from the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the rule. And then they broke the rule. But what happens? You would think lightning bolts would happen. You would think earthquake, ground open up, Adam and Eve fall in, closes up, the end. And then it's, Every eco-friendly, Prius-driving, crunchy person's dream come true. We eradicated the cancer of humanity, and now everything can be wonderful on the planet. You know? That's not what happened. What happened? God walked into the garden with Adam and Eve, who had just sinned. They did the one thing that he said would cause their death. And what does he do? Where's everybody? We're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat? Of course he knew. He's like every parent. Seriously. Did you eat of the tree? She made me do it. I mean, this is like parenting 101 right here. I had um, a good friend help me with a parenting thing. You ever ask your kid, did you make this mess? And what do they say every time? No. Like that, you definitely made that. Nope. Now we tell the kids like, I'm gonna look on the ring camera. Yes, I did, I did it. <laughs> this is how it works. And my friend said, don't, don't ask your kids if they did something you know they did. Ask them why they did it. Or tell them to pick it up. Don't make them lie, they're gonna lie. Like just, why did you make that mess? Uh, one or two? Okay, well, I want you to clean it up. So <laughs> when you're done, clean it up. So. I mean, Adam and Eve are doing the same thing all people do. But do you notice that they're having a conversation with the living God in the garden? And things change. They're, they're made to leave Eden. They're made, the, 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 they're no more, they can't eat from the tree of life anymore. But God doesn't leave them. They just keep moving away from him. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter six, all knowledge of God is lost. And then he saves humanity through Noah. And you get to chapter 11 and now you're at the Tower of Babel and everyone's rejected God. And then you get to chapter 12 and if God didn't pick Abraham, the sun-worshipping Iraqi, then there would be no people of God. Think about it for a second. Who's the one making the movement? It's always God. And we could trace this through the the whole Old Testament. I would love to do that with you. If you wanted to stay here all day, we could do that together. But the last book of the Bible, Malachi chapter three, God says, I'm coming. I'm coming. The one, the the one you love, the Lord who owns your people, I'm coming to the temple, I am on my way. Took him about 400 years, but then he showed up in the person of Jesus. Now the problem is, 
because of the distance and brokenness of humanity, God always gives us covenants and systems and ways to interact with him. And he creates shadows and types and symbols so that we can understand deep spiritual things. And we take all of those things and because of our brokenness, pre-Jesus, we turn them into a religion. We legalize everything. This is the reason why people would have judged this leper for being sick. Nowhere in the Bible does it say people with skin disorders are evil people. But if they're pushed out and in is good and out is bad, then they must have done something bad. And we still do the same thing. We legalize everything. We use every, everything God reveals as a standard by which to judge other people, don't we? And what is it? What happens? Distance happens. But that's not Jesus, is it? Nope. In Jesus, you get movement toward. You get, a, you get a willingness to come close and in fact, to break every barrier to put a hand on an infected leper. That's who Jesus is. And you know why? You know why we can be like Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who has the power. He has the power over disease. He has power over demons. He has power over death. And if we are joined with him, none of those things can stop us either. And so we ought to be the people that come in close like Jesus does, who close the gap of uncomfortableness or in ignorance. I don't know what to say. Probably nothing. Just sit and cry. This is what sometimes people need. And we have, we have the Father, the Creator, we have the expression of God in Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. Think about this for a second. I don't know if you know this or not. The reason that people with leprosy would be made to go outside the camp is not just to keep infection down. We're very technical, black and white, kind of modernistic thinkers. We're like, obviously, keep the lepers away. It keeps other people from being infected. Did you know that uh, leprosy is actually not very contagious at all? You can shake hands with someone with leprosy and not get leprosy. Did you also know that about 95% of the human population has the immune response that actually just kills the bacteria that gives you leprosy and you may have already had leprosy? Asymptomatic. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah, most people can't get leprosy. And now leprosy is entirely curable with a round of antibiotics. But it wasn't just about the skin condition. It wasn't just about that, that separation. It was about what is clean and what is unclean. In fact, Leviticus chapter three talks about leprosy as the kind of all skin disorders, but it also talks about mildew on your plaster. It says your house is unclean. If there's mold growing in your house, you need to take that off and put some new plaster up. That's in there too. Interesting. I'm, you may have skipped that in your Devo reading. The point is there, there, there is there is an uncleanliness that is on us that separates us from God. But most skin disorders were not leprosy and most of them cleared up. Even if there were things like psoriasis or eczema, you get out of an environment or you get out of a stressful situation and those skin conditions tend to improve and when they do, you can go to the priest and say, look, I'm healed. And he can go, oh yeah, look, look, you're healed. And then here's this step in order for you to be clean from unclean and now you're welcome back into society. And this happened over and over and over and over again because most skin disorders were not actually leprosy and didn't get worse. A lot of them just cleared up on their own and got better. But while you have this sickness, you are ostracized because there is clean and there is unclean. And if you know a God that's always drawing near and making a way for you to come and wanting to give you healing, then you might read this one way, but if you think that there's good people and bad people and bad people are out and good people are in, then you would think a person with leprosy is an evil person and being judged by God, and so I'm a clean, good person and they're a bad person, and that makes you feel better about yourself when the opposite is true. The reality is everybody's broken, and this is just an opportunity for us to see it in laws about skin disorders. And you know how I know that? Because if you read Leviticus chapter 14, when you come to the priest to show the priest that you are no longer covered in spots or boils or bubbles or scraping, oozing, white-haired grossness. Sorry. Why? You know what he does? Oh, here's how you come back in. Here's how you're made clean. You take two little birdies. You kill one. Then you sprinkle the blood of the dead one onto the living one. And then that one's allowed to go free. And in that ceremony, you are now pronounced clean. Jesus came to fulfill the reality of who God was on the earth and to reveal to people what God is truly like. He's the God that moves in our direction. He's the God that heals our diseases. He's the God that sets us free from all demonic influence, but he's also the God who makes us clean and saves us. How? Because he became like us and in his death and through his blood, we have life and freedom and cleansing. Do you see it? Do you see it? And it doesn't make sense 
unless you see Jesus. It doesn't make sense unless you see Jesus. But when you see Jesus, you start to see it differently. And think about this. God was always drawing near. He's drawing near through covenant. He's drawing near through revelation. He's drawing near through his people Israel. He eventually draws near by coming to us as a savior. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. But then Jesus left us, didn't he? We have no Jesus on the earth right now. Newsflash. He said, I won't leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How? I will ask my father and he will send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see, in Jesus, we're cleansed. We're made clean so that we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have the active presence of God to bless, always present with us, never leaves us. Our God is a God of proximity. He comes close and he never leaves. He's not afraid of your tears. He's not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of your skin disease. There's nothing that you can do that will keep God away from you. And this is the power at work within us. Isn't that amazing? And so we have very little obstacles to to care. Yes, there's plenty of reasons why we don't know what to say, and so we say nothing. We don't know what to do, and so we do nothing. We don't know how to help, and so we ask, what can I do to help? Nothing. Okay. You know what? We serve a God who doesn't send a text. He sends a Savior. We serve a God who moves into the human heart. doesn't matter what's gone on before, what's going to happen after, and he never leaves that person. He's faithful. Do you know what? We serve a God that makes unclean things clean and broken things whole and possess things free. That's who our God is. And that's the same spirit that's in us. Do you guys remember in 2009 when a Christian song came out, Give Me Your Eyes? Do you remember that? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I've been missing. Give me your love for humanity. That was a hit with Christian people because it reflected the impulse in many people to want to have more compassion. But the song doesn't give any solution at all. It just says, help, like, God, do something so I have compassion. And when I listen to that, I hear, he did. (laughs) He poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're missing nothing. Listen, if God can take a Grinch-hearted, head-thinking number seven surfer from New Smyrna and make me into a pastor that cares for people and cries at funerals, he can help you too. Let me tell you. And, and here's what you do. When someone's suffering and it freaks you out, go to their house. Hey, I'm here. Hey, it's eight in the morning. I'm in my jammies. You have any coffee? I'm coming in. You ever wonder, you te- send people that text message, how can I help? No, I'm fine. Everything's fine. You know, you show up at your house, you'll find out how you can help. Lawn needs to be mowed. Laundry's piling up. There's a kid that needs a bath. There's nothing for dinner. Need to go grocery shopping. You don't even have to ask. When you show up, you can tell. If we're going to build a culture of care, we've got to be people who are willing to get into people's ugly tears and into their pile-high laundry and into their knee-high grass. We need to be able to put arms around someone when we don't know what to say. We need to pray for people and sit with people and cry with people and don't feel compelled to give an answer as to why. When we are people of proximity, we will be reflecting the nature and character of God, and he has given us the power of his Holy Spirit to do this work. And that's what you can expect to find when and you overcome the tiny little hurdles and obstacles that would hold you back from bringing the kind of care that God created you to bring. Amen? You gonna, you gonna come up? Okay, yeah. We're gonna close, and I wanna pray for you. And Tiffany wants to share this with you, and I think it's really gonna minister to your heart, and so enjoy her voice and her words. Um, so just so you guys know, if, you're, if this is your first time at Christ Church, Um, I don't ever plan to share on Sunday. Um, Everything that I share on Sunday comes from how God has cared for me personally in my own quiet time. And then I try to just give it back to you guys. Um, And so this morning as I was sitting there during worship, I just handed Jesse a note, which I do a lot. If you guys will ever see me passing my phone, I'm not passing love notes, I'm passing God notes. And um, he read it. And he said, did you watch the nine? And I said, no, I didn't. And he's like, that's perfect for the close. And so I love when the Holy Spirit just moves that way. It's my favorite. And I just want to remind you guys of um, Romans 8. It says, "Uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And um, being a pastor's wife and just being on Facebook, as he was talking, I can relate to the compassion fatigue. And it's not just in our world, it's what's going on in your life. It's what I see on Facebook with my own friends. And sometimes I just have to shut it down and go, oh my goodness. And I just wanted to remind you, especially if you are, because we are very different. He's a thinker and I'm a feeler. Um, I have to just remind myself in those times that, God, you've given me your spirit. Your spirit lives inside of me. And so not only can I pray for these people or cast these cares, but you're going to tell me what to do. You're going to tell me who to care for. You're going to tell me who to call. You're going to tell me who to send a note to or who to pray for. And I think it's really important that we have that dependence on God um, as we are looking at the needs and the cares that everybody has because we can't do it all. I have four kids that I tend to every day and they are my number one priority. And so many times I can get on Facebook and go, but that, but that, but that. And the Holy Spirit goes, no, right here, right here. Those little faces, those are number one. I'll show you what's next. I'll show you if there's something you can add to your plate. And so I just wanted to end with this quote. This was the note. That was all the pre-stuff, but this is the note that I had from a sermon, of course. I love reading Spurgeon sermons. So it says, He cannot be an unhappy man who can cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption is always attended by love, joy, and peace, which are fruits of the spirit. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of liberty and joy in Christ Jesus. It is the right and the portion of every believer to live in the assurance that he is reconciled to God, that God loves him and that he is God's child. But when I know that he whom I have rested in has the power and grace enough to complete that which he has begun in me and for me, when I see the work of Christ to be no halfway redemption, but a complete and eternal salvation, when I perceive that the promises are established upon an unchangeable basis and are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, ratified by oath and sealed by blood, then my soul hath perfect contentment. It is true that looking forward, there may be seen long avenues of tribulation, but the glory is at the end of them. Battles may be foreseen, and woe unto the man who does not expect them. But the eye of faith perceives the crown of victory. Deep waters are mapped upon our journey, but faith can see Jehovah fording these rivers with us. And she anticipates the day when we shall ascend the banks of the hither shore and enter into Jehovah's rest. When we have received these priceless truths into our souls, we are satisfied with favor and full of the goodness of the Lord. Do you want me to keep reading or yeah. no? When we enter into the love of God and it enters into us, when we walk with God habitually, then our joy is like Jordan at harvest time when it overfloweth all of its banks. And we reckon that one dram, one dram of fellowship with Christ is enough to sweeten an ocean full of tribulation. And that only to know that he is near us and to see the gleaming of his dear eye would transform even hell itself into heaven if it were possible for us to enjoy his presence there. And then he goes on just to say that communion with God is the surest foster of our strength. And church, I just want to, brothers and sisters, myself included, when we spend time with God, when we are cared for by him, that is when we will care so well for other people. We have to have him, like Jesse said, we have to have him dry our tears first before we can dry other ones. We have to be vulnerable with God first before we can be vulnerable with other people. We have to be known and seen and loved and be sure and stand firm in who we are in Christ. And then we can give that away to other people. So spend time with the Lord. Seek his face. He loves you so much. Bring him all of your burdens. Tell him everything. Let him heal it up. Whatever it is, he can do it. The song says, give me your eyes for just one second.
we're not lacking for perspective. We're lacking for experience. But when you know God who puts his hands on the leper and comes near to the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, when you know that God, you will have everything you need to incarnate God's love to people in the midst of suffering. And God employs every one of us. It's not on you, it's on us. It's not for you alone. It's for the Holy Spirit who works through every heart that's bowed the knee to Jesus. Amen? And so I'm gonna pray for us all, and I specifically wanna pray for anybody that's here that does not know God this way. Maybe you're here and you don't know why you're here. You got tricked into it. You were promised lunch. I don't know. But you and God, not good. And maybe this is the first time that you've heard that God loves you for who you are, where you are, and is drawn near to you to save you, to set you free, and to live with you forever. And I want you to, by faith, receive God's gift of salvation. And if you are a Jesus follower, I just want to pray that God's spirit would, would do a mighty work in us to step up and overcome those obstacles so that we can bring the presence and power of God to people in suffering in the church, out of the church, next door, down the street, in the future, so that God's word would be known and God's heart would be felt and the testimony of Jesus would go forward. Amen? So would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And if you're here and you, you want to receive God's gift of salvation this morning, if you know that's for you and you want to start this journey with God, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're seated. Just raise your hand right up and I want to pray for you. God, thank you. God, thank you for my brothers and sister who are turning to you in faith and repentance and inviting you to draw not just close, but all the way in. God, thank you that in the name of Jesus, we experience cleansing and freedom and salvation and that we can be a home to your Holy Spirit and that you will never leave us or forsake us. And God, I thank you for every single person in my hearing who has an inclination in their hearts to grow as a person of care in a culture of care and who is gonna take steps to draw closer to people, to overcome hindrances and obstacles and have that proximity to be able to care for other people. God, thank you that we have everything that we need by your Holy Spirit and help us to daily walk with you in a way that transforms our experience as children of God. Lord, as spirit-filled and empowered humans sent by Jesus to fulfill your mission, God, I pray we'd have a holy boldness about us and that we would be a caring church that reveals a caring God who draws near to all people. We thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, and we commit this word in our hearts to you. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Can we just show some love to those who put their faith in Jesus this morning and show them a good welcome to the family? And if, if you receive Christ today and made that decision, would you fill out an I Have Decided card and drop it in the offering box before you leave so that we can follow up with you? We wanna put some materials in your hands and help you take your next step of faith. God bless you guys so much. Thank you for spending your morning with us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great week.